You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Good, good. So glad you're here. My name is Bill Vecchio. I'm one of the pastors. And I just want to welcome you to Fort Myers Community Church. Thanks for joining us. Um, Hopefully, I'll be able to keep it together uh, at this point. Um, I'm really excited because we're jumping into a new summer series, um, going through some of the Proverbs. And so in the past, when we get to the summer, we start going through the Psalms, and this year we decided to go through some of the Proverbs. And, and one of the themes that we see all throughout the problem, Proverbs is this idea of the fear of the Lord. And I know that this can be uh, somewhat of a confusing topic. I think this is one of the most misunderstood ideas that we can see in Scripture. The fear of the Lord. I remember going to a holiday party one time, and I was talking to someone who had recently gone to a church, and they didn't have a very good experience. And as we were processing that, uh, they're not, they didn't frequently go to church, but as we were processing her experience, she said that they were talking about uh, fearing God. And she didn't like that. She didn't like that they were talking about fearing God, because God is just supposed to be all about love and mercy and grace, and there's no reason to fear. And she didn't like that they were talking about that. And as I was listening to her, I was hearing her concerns, and, and I understand that there are a lot of people that maybe can mis, misrepresent what the fear of the Lord actually is, but at the same time, we cannot bypass, we cannot push aside the fear of the Lord. We can't just say, I don't like it, because the Bible explicitly says to fear the Lord. And so as we're looking at Scripture, and as we're going through the Proverbs, I want us to be very careful and cautious, and at the same time, very optimistic and very hopeful because the fear of the Lord is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. And it's something that I think if we understand it properly will cause us to draw near to God, not run away from Him. And so um, I think we can all agree that life is full of decisions and circumstances and problems. Anybody have to make any decisions this week? Anybody? I'm the only one? Yes? Okay. Um, I mean, decisions like what am I going to eat for dinner? Um, am I going to go to this store or that store? Am I going to buy a car? Uh, should we buy a house? I mean, there's huge decisions, right? I mean, if you're a business owner, it's should we, uh, we have to look at our P&L and then make decisions based off of that. If you're um, in a job or a project at your house, right, and you're, you're having to figure out what to do and when to do it. And then there are these problems that arise. Every single house project I get myself into, some kind of problem shows up. And so you have to tackle these problems and and then there are just there's circumstances, just life events, maybe new experiences. I know for me, a uh, new experience this week was I played pickleball. Yeah. Um, so I got, yeah, got invited to play pickleball and um, almost died. And so, um, but it was so much fun. All I, I really had to know was just stay out of the kitchen. And if you're a pickleball player, you know what that means. If you're not, Google it. So, I think as we're making these decisions and dealing with these problems, um, we say often, I say often, hindsight is twenty twenty. Like, I, I, wish, I wish I knew then what I know now. And I think as we get older and older and older, we realize how immature and naive and dumb we were back then. I think you look, some of us can look at our high school days or our college days and be like, man, if I only knew. If I only knew that I was going to break every bone in my body or get 100 scars of the things I wouldn't have jumped off of, 
right? And, and so hindsight is twenty twenty. but one of the things we see here is that there's a wise man named Solomon said in history, not just the Bible, but in history to be one of the most wisest, most powerful, most successful leaders of all time. He was the son of David. And a lot of us, even if we haven't been around church, we've uh, heard of the story of David and Goliath, right? Because our culture has grabbed onto the story of David and Goliath. Here's an underdog defeating this, this giant. And so it's David's son, Solomon, and he starts writing about wisdom and discernment and knowledge and instruction. And so if you have a Bible, open up Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, there's some Bibles on the tables. There's also a great app called the Version Bible app. Really encourage you to download that. They have some great verses of the day that they send you. Um, they've got some great Bible reading plans. Uh, it's called Version Bible app. So if you have a Bible, I want you to hold the Word of God in your hand. I don't want you to ever just take my word for it. I want you to see it. I want you to touch it. I want you to underline it. I want you to circle it um, because this is the Word of the Lord. So let me pray for us. We're going to read Proverbs chapter 1. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your Word that you give us. God, I do pray that the words that come out of my mouth, that they're not just my words. God, that these words reveal to us your heart, your wisdom, your truth. That you love us and you desire relationship with us. What that looks like. What it looks like for us to see you as you are. All-knowing, all-powerful in every way. So God, thank you. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. King of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. How many of you have ever been horseback riding? Can you raise your hand? Let's see if I... All right. Wow. A good, good chunk of you. So I remember my first horseback riding experience. I don't remember exactly what age I was. I was probably like eight, nine-ish. Um, and so I was a boy. And my dad and my mom took our whole family, and we went horseback riding. And the way it worked there, and this is just kind of, you know when you're remembering stories, uh, things always, I think, appear a little bit bigger in your mind than they were. So I remember, here's what I remember. I remember standing there uh, in the barn, and I remember them lining up all the people that were going to be riding horses. And there, were, there was our family, but then there was also other people that were there, and they were going to go on this big, like, horse tour through, I don't know, the woods or something. And so we're there, and they started bringing in the horses one by one. And the trainer and the people that worked there, they would match up a horse to the people. And so they knew the horse, and they would kind of size up the people, and then they would connect the dots. That's their job. And so they would come in with a horse, and then they'd say, okay, this one's for you. And then they'd come with another horse, and this one's for you. And I remember sitting there as a boy and thinking, okay, I want, you know, I want a black horse. I want, you know, all the things that you want in the horse that you're going to ride. And then all of a sudden, through the stable, comes this monster of a horse. 
This thing was like a dinosaur size. I mean, it was huge. And I remember how big this horse was. I remember thinking, ha ha to whoever has to ride that thing, right? And so I remember this thing coming in and everybody in the line that was still left, like kind of gasped, like, I don't want to get on that thing. And so I was standing next to this bigger man. um, And so they bring the horse in and the guy points over uh, in this man's direction, says, hey, this one's for you. And this guy's face just like turns white. And he's like, and so like you can see, he's like trying to compose himself. Like I got to be a man, right? I got to get on this thing. And so you see, you take a deep breath. And I remember him like stepping forward. And the guy's like, no, not you, the boy. And I remember freaking out. I remember being like, there is no way I could even get up on this thing, let alone ride this thing. I mean, he is huge. I couldn't, I could never control this thing. I could never get on this. I could never ride this horse. And I remember what the man said, and he said this. He goes, don't worry. This is our best horse. He is the most gentle, calmest, patient horse that we have. He will always stay on the path, and he will continue to go forward, and he will never lead you off the path. He's like, this is our best one, and this is why we want it for you. I think he was also sizing me up as well, seeing that I was a, a stupid boy. Um, and so he was just like, no, this is the best. And I remember getting on this thing, and it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. I loved it. I loved every bit of it. And I remember even as we were on the trails, how other people's horses would buck, or they would move, or they would turn, or they would start like moving over on the side of the trail where people are getting like smacked in the face with branches. And I remember how mine just stayed steady and stayed in the middle. And he was strong and powerful, but he also was gracious and just so gentle with me being on him. And I think when we look at the fear of the Lord and we start talking about the fear of the Lord, we have to start with the object, not the emotion. And I think often we hear the word fear and we want to automatically tune out. But what I want us to do this morning as we're starting off in the Proverbs is to look at the object. Look at what the word says here. It says, the fear of the Lord, Yahweh. For the people at this point in life, they would have understood who Yahweh was. They wouldn't even utter his name. They wouldn't even say the word Yahweh because they had so much reverence and awe and wonder because they knew how awesome and powerful God was. They knew that it was Yahweh who spoke everything came into being. That there were birds and animals and rivers and mountains that were created by the word of his mouth. That when they, the people of God, were in captivity, how he sent one of his prophets there, a guy named Moses, to save them, to bring them out of Egypt. And so what did they do? He sent plagues. I mean, out of nowhere were frogs and flies. And he turned water into blood and save them from the Egyptians. And then, as they're running away, there's a, there's a sea that's in their way, and so the power of this God parts the sea, leads them through the sea, then parts a river, leads them through the river. Then there is this massive kingdom that sits before them that they're supposed to get through with huge walls that they could never penetrate. And what does this God do? He says, walk around the outside of this city. And when you yell, I'm going to crash these walls down. So in the city of Jericho, the people of God obey his voice, and they walk around the city, and they yell, and they blow their horns, and these walls come crashing down. Not because their yells were super loud, because their God was super powerful. And so this is the God in whom our eyes must fix and focus on. I mean, you see this story of Jonah, 
where he gets on a boat to run away from God, and God sends this storm. And when he sends this storm, um, the waves are kicking up, and, and he says, hey, this is my fault. I'm running away from God. And the guys are trying to paddle back to shore. They can't get back to shore. And he says, just throw me overboard. So he throws them overboard. And as soon as Jonah hits and touches the water, the storm ceases, which causes the sailors to wonder and awe and fear the Lord. And so they worship him. He doesn't leave Jonah just drowning in the sea, but then sends a fish to swallow him in order to keep him alive. That's not discipline, that's grace. And brings him back to where God knew he was supposed to be, what was best for Jonah. Fast forward past even Solomon's day, and there is this baby that is born of a virgin, lives a perfect life. And then, when he turns around 30 years old, he starts going around and healing people that are lame, that are crippled, that are broken, that are hurting, that are lonely, that are sick, that have been outcast. And he starts drawing people near. And so what do we do? We murder him. We put him on a cross and kill him. And so what's his response, the dead guy's response? Like Selah said, he raises himself up from the dead so that you and I can have a relationship with him for all of eternity. That's the power of that object, the power of that person, the power of Yahweh. See, if we focus so much on the, well, I don't like fear, I like fear. Oh, that's not really the word I would use. It's not your, it's not your opinion. Like, the Bible says to fear him. Why? Because he is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere. He spoke all things into creation, including you, and he controls all things. And I love what R.C. Sproul says. There's not one molecule in the entire universe that is outside of his control. If there is, then God ceases to be God. And so, we see this Yahweh. And I know that we have some talented and smart and successful people in this room. People that are at the top of their game, the top of their field. But I guarantee you, none of you have ever parted a sea or spoke, and all of a sudden, there was a steak and potatoes on your plate in front of you. And I'm not including Grubhub, all right? See, I think sometimes we over-magnify ourselves and the things of this world and belittle the power of an almighty God. We say we don't like the fear of the Lord, then we don't understand who the Lord is. And we're also misunderstanding what fear is. See, I think fear is a very, very common emotion. But fearing God is very different than fearing everything else. Fear and I are good friends. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. I know it's not a manly thing to say, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of stuff. Like, don't be around me when there's a bee around all right? I run away like a little girl swatting and yelling. And if you don't know that there's a bee around, you're like, this guy's gone crazy, right? And I think some of my neighbors sometimes are seeing me doing yard work, and I'm just running around like, right? Because I'm, I'm scared of bees. I don't know why. I just am. Sharks, they freak me out. So the other day, we were in the water with our girls, and they wanted to go to the sandbar, and I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I know that there's like nine feet of water, and I know that a shark can like swim in three feet. And so I'm like, I'm comfortable up to about here. 
Um, but any further, I get freaked out. So fear and I, we're good friends. I'm scared of being alone. I'm scared of being rejected. I'm scared of losing what I've worked so hard for. And so what do I do? I run from those things because I'm afraid of those things. But fearing God is different. Fearing God causes me actually to run to him. It's kind of like that horse. I think if I knew then what I know now, man, I would take every opportunity to pick that horse, to jump in the fact when that thing came through the door, to be like, me, me, I want that one. Why? Because I knew that that one was safe. I knew that one was strong. I knew it was powerful. I knew he was going to get me to where I needed to go. And I think... We sometimes look at fearing God as a sign of weakness. We look at fearing God as as a misunderstanding of, of his love for us or his mercy or his grace. Here's what we're guaranteed, that we're all going to fail. And if any single one of us thinks that, that we have it all together, we're fooling ourselves. Because every single day, you and I have to look in the mirror, and sometimes we don't even want to look at ourselves in the mirror because we know how broken and mixed up and messed up we are. But there is a God who loves us in spite of all those things. That from the beginning of time, it wasn't plan B, it was plan A for him to send Jesus for you, specifically. Yes, corporately, but very specifically. That God said, there is a man named Chris, whom I love, that I am going to send my son for, to die in his place. And so, I think sometimes we don't want to fear because we misunderstand how big God is, how powerful he is, how awesome he is. And I think sometimes we forget that we're in a war. You know when you want the biggest and strongest, most powerful horse? Right? You're about to go into war and some dude brings in the pony. You're not picking that one. What are you going to do? You're going to go find the strongest, most powerful, most consistent, most well-trained horse you can because you know that that's going to be your protection. That's going to be what's going to bring you through the war. The Bible says that the devil, the adversary, is like a lion, and he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. We are in a war, and fearing God causes us to grab a hold of him and say, I can't do this without you. I need you. When, when all of a sudden you get the phone call that there's cancer, you get the phone call that, that someone is in the hospital that you love. Or you're going for a random run and a car comes out and hits you. Like, having a God who is more powerful than all of those things is where your hope needs to be. That's where you need to run to. And so, I think we misunderstand that we desire, we need a God who is bigger than all things. We need a God who is stronger than all things. And that we are not that God. I love what Proverbs 14.26 says. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. And for their children, he will be a refuge. Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Life. And he who has it rests satisfied. 
Anybody struggling to rest in this season? He who fears the Lord rests satisfied. Psalm 112.1 Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. When we run to God, when we grab a hold of God, we will always find love and mercy and grace. He finished what He started on the cross. He has brought you if you profess faith in him, I love how simple Selah's story was. As we were sitting there taking that video, and we were talking about what she believes, it was simple. I believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And she recognizes that her, there are still questions that are in her mind. I think sometimes as adults, we need all of the questions answered before we can actually believe in something. We want to know all the details. But we were talking this week about her baptism, and she's like, hey, there's still something I don't understand. I'm really struggling to understand the Trinity. I'm like, huh. She, didn't actually, she said the, the, the difference between God the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I'm really struggling to understand that. I'm like, hey, that's okay. My wife goes, yeah, me too. That's why Paul, Peter, use phrases like the mystery of Christ. Because there are things, because he's all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere, and I think because he is so big, we can't put him in a little box and try to figure him out. He's bigger than our minds can comprehend. And so, we have to realize that his life replaces our life, and he brings us from death to life. This isn't a morality game. This is about you being dead in your trespasses and sins and Christ bringing you to be alive in him through faith and grace. And the word the scripture uses is adopted. We are adopted as sons and daughters, fully children of God because of his love for us. And so there are times where I know that my girls may be fearful of me because they did something wrong or, or they're doing something against what I said, but my hope is that that fear would never drive them from me, but only cause them to come to me. Fathers, if you're not disciplining your kids, you're not doing what God has commanded you to do. But in the moments where I am leading out in a gospel way, it's not all the time, but when I'm leading out in a gospel way and I sit down with my girls and I begin to discipline them in the ways of the Lord and I discipline them in love and grace and mercy, every single time, you know what their response is? To hug my neck. Every time. Maya is the sweetest representation of that. She's three years old, and I walk her through how she is dishonoring and disobeying, and there's no blessing in that, and that my job as her daddy is to discipline her and bring her back into the circle of blessing where, there, where she will live long and live well. And every single time, even after a spanking, she will throw her arms around her neck, and she will just want to be with me. Why? Because she realized and recognizes that I love her. And so there are times when she's running towards the street that I desire for her to fear me. For when I yell no, stop, I want her to listen. And I think sometimes we only want to do what we want to do. I want what I want, when I want it. And I don't want anybody telling me what to do. But that's why Solomon, in all his wisdom, 
says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But the fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think this word fools is, is big because to not fear God, it will always lead us to death. It will always lead us to death. Let's jump down a little bit. Let's look at verse 10. It says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down into the pit, we shall find all the precious goods. We shall find our, fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will, have, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. For their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. That do the, thing, the people who do what they want to do, when they want to do it, how they want to do it, and they don't want anybody else, including God, to tell them what to do, these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of his possessors. And then look at verses 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. I think we can fail to see obedience to God and his word as life and death. Life and death. We're not talking about good people and bad people. We're talking about life and death. Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. To go against God is to choose death, not only in this life, as well as in eternity. And I don't know why we think, and maybe this is just me, but I don't know why we think we're the exception to this rule. We always think that, like, all right, I know that the Bible says this, but my situation's different. You ever do that? You ever rationalize that with yourself? Right? I, I know that the Bible says I shouldn't lie, but in this scenario, in this situation, this lying is good. I know I shouldn't cheat at Monopoly Deal with my eight-year-old, but she's annoying and I want this game to be over. Okay, just me. Yeah, I know that I'm not married, but I really love this person. It's fine. We'll sleep together. We're going to get married one day. Man, I know that, that this business transaction is super shady, and I know that there's some things going on that, that aren't really above board and above reproach. I don't think anybody's going to find out, and once it's over, it's over. Why do we think we're the exception? Why do we keep rationalizing our sin? I think Solomon knows that. Solomon was a sinner too. Solomon wasn't perfect. I think he was looking back on the course of his life and going, you know what? Every time I've rationalized my sin, it led me to death. Every time I thought I was the exception to the rule, it didn't go well for me. You ever build up in your mind when you're, you're convincing yourself that sin's a good thing, and then it's over, and you go, wow, that was dumb. 
Because in the moment, I mean, uh, someone used the analogy one time of um, a soda bottle or a funnel. In the moments where the devil's attacking us, sometimes when we're like in the word and when we're praying and when we're, when we're seeking the Lord, we kind of have a bigger picture of life. But then when temptation and sin starts flooding in, it kind of comes down to this point where we're not seeing the whole picture. It's almost like a horse that has blinders on. And all we see is the sin before us. We think, that is going to make me happy. Hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions, right? That's going to make me happy. That's going to satisfy me. That's going to give me what I want. And then it's over. And what happens? It never satisfies. It never brings us life and joy. What does God's word say? The fear of the Lord brings us life. The fear of the Lord brings us joy. And it is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom and instruction. All right, so back to the monster horse. I was going to do like a beat a dead horse joke right there, but I'll bypass that. Nothing? Seriously? Whatever. You know, I think that um, the trainer knew the horse, um, but he also sized me up pretty well. He recognized that as a young kid, it was going to be my tendency to get um, excited about shiny things that were off the trail. He knew that I was going to constantly desire to wander and constantly desire to, to go off where I should go. And so by his wisdom and his grace, he put me on this horse knowing that when I tried to pull the horse to where I wanted to go, that the horse would make sure I stayed true. And so um, I want us to be very careful in this series and very cautious in this series because um, what I don't want is I don't want us to um, forget that the fear of the Lord being the beginning of of our relationship with God um, is the same thing as when we talk about being afraid or fear of of things of this world. Um, Fearing God is this awe. It's this reverence. It's this wonder. And at the same time, it is also fear. Let's not belittle fear. Let's not try to make it prettier than it is. And I think for us, when we are being tempted and when we are choosing death, the fear needs to draw us closer to him. Make us grab a hold of him tighter. If you're struggling with habitual sin right now, don't let the devil tell you that God doesn't want to hear from you, that God doesn't want to speak to you, that God doesn't want you around him. Because that's what the devil does. When I'm in sin, like the devil's telling me, well, you can't pray now. You just sin. You can't read the Bible. God's not going to speak to you through it. Let's not let the devil convince us of what's not true. In our biggest moments of weakness, in the biggest moments of brokenness, in fact, when we were enemies of God, God gave us Jesus. And so let's remember the cross as the beginning point of what it looks like to fear the Lord and draw near to him, knowing that all of the wrath of God was absorbed by himself so that we can run to him and grab a hold of him and know that he is God and we are not. Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. God, I know that um, even beginning a series on the fear of the Lord is, um, 
one of those things that could be so quickly misunderstood. But God, I pray that for all of us here that we would recognize who we are, that we are sinners in need of grace, and who you are, a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and still loves us in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our sin, in spite of our addictions, in spite of our brokenness, that you love us in those things, and that the only thing that we bring to a relationship with you is our sin, is our failures, is our shame. But what we receive is life and hope. And so God, I pray that for every single person here, that we would grab a hold of you and know that you love us, you desire a relationship with us, and that we should never try to run from you. God, I pray throughout this summer as we look at your Proverbs that you would give us a bigger understanding, that you would give us wisdom and discernment and knowledge in how big you actually are. God, that our minds and our hearts would be filled with wonder and awe, knowing that you hold the universe together, that you keep our earth at an axis so we don't burn up or freeze, that you keep us spinning, that you that you keep our hearts beating, that you keep our lungs breathing, and this world is gonna throw all sorts of junk at us. There's going to be more viruses, and there's going to be more sickness, and there's going to be more war, and there's going to be more hurt, and there's gonna be more brokenness, but God, you are bigger than all those things. And as we place our faith and our hope in you, God, we are not just putting our faith and hope in you for this life, but for all of eternity. That we know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord Yahweh. So God, I pray right now that we would fully trust you. And for all of us in this room that are failing to put our full trust and surrender into you, God, I pray that your spirit would do only what your spirit can do and stir in the hearts and the minds every single person. Draw us close, God. God, I pray that every single person here would know that you have died for them so that they may have life. For all have sinned and fall short of your glory but you loved each and every one of us, that you gave your son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. God, teach us what it means to hear you and know you in a way that we have never been able to before. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.